So I sat down last week with a member of our community, and she asked me, as a rabbi, how do you stay present in other people's pain? How do you stay present without without absorbing the pain and taking it home with you, without absorbing the pain and becoming fatigued, without experiencing compassion fatigue. So we had a great conversation, but that's for another time. The reason she was asking this question is because she had begun to volunteer as a translator with an organization that is supporting asylum seekers in New York City, asylum seekers from all over the world. And she's sitting with folks who are coming from often extremely dangerous, sometimes horrific experiences in their home countries, and they are running here. And she is often the first person that is speaking their language. So she's working with a team of lawyers and social workers, chaplains, but most of them don't speak their language. And she is someone who speaks a few different languages and is able to sit down and communicate. And her experience is one of, of, obviously, of deep compassion. And when she's sitting down with someone, there's an intimacy. Again, it's the first time of not having anyone understand you for a long period of time and coming to this country and sitting down with someone who speaks your language. And so there's a pastoral aspect to what she's doing. But there's also another aspect that is unbelievably hard and very different than what I get to do as a rabbi because she knows that for someone to be considered for asylum here even remotely considered I'm really sorry about the sound for someone to be considered they're going to have to speak of and prove the most horrendous experiences and the danger that they are running from and so this member of our community has to push people to talk about the unspeakable. And she was telling me that just last week there was somebody who was so closed and didn't want to talk at all. And she sat with him and on the one hand she wanted to just be with him and sit with him. But on the other, she had this tremendous anxiety. If he does not speak, he is going to be sent immediately home. And so she pushed him. And she pushed him. And he spoke of his wife, who was eight months pregnant, when the police came to their home. And he wasn't there. And she lost the baby. And he broke down. And she's still there. And he's here in New York City. And she realized that he'd pushed, she'd pushed him too far. How do you balance? How do you... You're sitting across from a person whose life depends on you. And they have no choice but to trust you. And they're in the most vulnerable place. And you're asking them to speak the unspeakable. She described the sense of powerlessness amongst all the asylum seekers. 
And she, she spoke of the powerlessness that she experienced amongst the team that was trying to support the asylum seekers. Each of them stymied at every step of the way by a government crackdown on immigration on, of all stripes. The powerlessness that she described reminded me of a midrash oft quoted by Dr. Aviva Zornberg on the kind of brand of powerlessness that we suffered as a people in Egypt. The Midrash describes how Israelites, adults and children were literally built into the walls of the pyramids. People working so fast within a system so cruel that human beings were plastered into the walls and buried alive. Dr. Zornberg describes this as the metaphor for the system. When one is so powerless that you can't even imagine protesting the system and instead you're swallowed into the system, you become the brick, the wallpaper of the system. I wanna fast forward to this week's Parsha. And this week we have a robust, action-packed Parsha. We say goodbye to two of our most beloved prophets and leaders, Aaron and Miriam. But I want to laser in on one moment in the parasha, on one teaching. You see, this week begins our countdown. We're in the home stretch towards the promised land. This 40 years of wandering, it's about to come to a close. The wilderness generation is dying out. and The younger generation is growing into its own to get to the promised land, standing between us and the promised land, our whole entire countries. And we need to cross through at least one of these countries to reach our future home, to leave this chaos behind of these 40 years of wandering and to get home. So what do we do? We knock. We knock on doors kindly and then we beg and then we promise we're just going to pass through you're not going to notice that we've even been there the roads that we walk on will be just as pruned and beautiful as before we were on them but door after door country after country were turned away we the ivrim whose very name means the ones who cross over, the boundary traversers. We are shut out. The doors are slammed in our faces. And so we become the wandering Jews. And all we hear is no. We begin this process. We begin with the first knock on the very first door with our cousins, the descendants of Esav, Edom, the Edomites from the land of red and we say please let us just pass through we won't turn to the right we won't turn to the left we're just gonna go straight to the other side Adom Edom refused Ramban Nachmanides asks what does it say Edom, as if the entire country refused us. It's actually just Melech Edom, right? It should be the king of Edom refused. Mm -hmm. Ramban says, 
The reason why all of Edom refuses is because all of Edom agreed with their king. All of the citizens said, yeah, seal our gates. The people bought it. They were with their leader. Or you know what? Maybe they weren't. Maybe some of them, some of these Edomites were appalled by the xenophobia and the racism and thought to themselves, no, no, this is terrible. But they were simply silent because maybe they had incredibly busy lives. Or maybe they were overwhelmed and had no idea how to help or what to do. Maybe the Edomites were good people. Maybe they had noble intentions, but it doesn't matter. The Edomites left not one dissenting voice on record. And so all we're left with is silence. And their silence is codified by Ramban as their assent to seal their borders. The 20th century German American rabbi Joachim Prince famously said in the March on Washington, when I was the rabbi of the Jewish community in Berlin under the Hitler regime, I learned many things. The most important thing that I learned under those tragic circumstances was that bigotry and hatred are not the most urgent problem. The most urgent, the most disgraceful, the most shameful and the most tragic problem is silence. So it's time for us to speak out, to let her rip, as my mother would say. And I think we need to hear ourselves say it out loud. So if you will call after me, and this is not normal for me, so it might not be normal for you, but I invite you to try it, to say after me, I will not be silent. 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 We will not be silent. We will not be silent. Not here. Not here. Not now. Not now. Not in our name. Not in our name. Amen. For those of us who are new to using our voices this way, there are also guides. Friends and colleagues at Hyas, at Trua, at Bend the Ark, at Pico, they have pointed us to concrete action steps and how to support organizations that are working on the ground. Many of us have received emails from different networks and listservs open them. I don't know if you, I mean, I, one thing that was tremendous was a group of friends who started, it was, there was one on Facebook, but for those of us who are on, I mean, a lot on Facebook, um, they opened a charge to the Jewish community. They chose four different organizations. They put a form online. They said, they said, donate more than you feel you can. Go beyond what you feel is your means. And they raised with an initial goal of something like 11,000, I think they're at $86,000 right now within a small Jewish community. 
So I want to encourage you, go online, read, take a step, use your voice in a way that feels beyond what you've done before, what feels comfortable. Join with Ben the Ark, who has put out a call that says, we are in a state of moral emergency. This is an emergency. Some of us showed up at midnight on Thursday at LaGuardia to greet immigrant children shuttled to New York for detention. When we learned this week that we had detention centers for children in New York City, in our city. So many people showed up at LaGuardia at midnight to say to these children being shuttled here, you are not alone and we are standing here and we're gonna make sure the world is watching what is happening right now. Last night, many of us stood in the shadow of ICE headquarters in New York City with hundreds of Jews across denominations and political leanings. We prayed, we called BS, we sang with the most horrible sound system, and we pledged our next steps. So next steps. There's a rally next Saturday. It is Shabbat, June 30th, after services. We will walk together. There is a mission to San Diego next week on July 2nd for clergy and for lay leaders to head en masse and to be there at the border, July 2nd. If you go onto Trua's website, you can learn more about it after Shabbat. Because we in the Jewish community will not be like the silent Edomites. We will not Edom like Edom. Edomites who were silenced into agreement or complacency by a morally bankrupt, red-faced king. And Edom means red, after all. We will not default to silence. I heard from a teacher Rabbi Shai held this week, from his teacher and friend, Richard Primus, a law professor at the University of Michigan. And he wrote, Ever wonder what you would do if your government was praising brutal dictators and ripping children away from parents who are among the most powerless and vulnerable people in the country? You're doing it now. We're doing it now. So we will not be silent. 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 Not now. Not now. Not here. Not here. Not in our name. Not in our name. Please rise. <laughs>